Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement, and I'm the director of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach of Christian discernment created to provide biblical responses to the deceptions of our fallen age. Thanks for stopping by to our podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? It's a question increasingly being asked by all of us who've been living in the shadows of misery, confusion, and pain in our weary world which we're all suffering. We're hopeful that you will find our podcast speak to you today somehow about some of that. We're thankful you downloaded us and we're hoping that you'll bookmark us and return next week. And thanks to Spotify, Google, and Amazon for some of our traffic as well. Please tell your friends about us and help spread the word about our podcast. We feel it's an important voice in our world that we believe brings truth and light to all who need it. It's easy to find links to our podcast site on our ministry website, spiritwatch.org, as well as on our Facebook page and blogger site, Spirit Watch Unchained. Read more about our work there, as well as in-depth research articles, video, audio bites, and so much more. As you may recall, for the past few months, Spirit Watch Ministries has sought to bring a critical perspective on the ongoing activity of the Xenos slash Dwell movement. As you know, the Dwell Community Church of Columbus, Ohio, rebranded itself with that warm and fuzzy moniker after having rejoiced in its cryptic identification as the Xenos Christian Fellowship for almost 50 years there. It's become a major spiritual player in the city and not without any small controversy. We've discerned that the dark backstory that underlies its corporate life during all these years needs to be examined and brought into the light for further scrutiny. While there are many dimensions of the social engineering that it has brought thousands of young men and women under which we could examine, we've chosen to bring attention on what the group is most infamously known for, that being its devotion to religious abuse, cultic mind control, and the damage it has done to so many of its own during that time. We've had a number of former Xenos members and leaders on our podcast the past few months who've helped us see what the movement really is, a destructive, deceptive and dangerous cult that has taken the form of a hip and trendy megachurch that cries about how it's been so terribly misunderstood and maligned. On today's podcast, we're glad to have Eric Smith as one of our podcast guests, a former leader within Xenos whose involvement spans well over 35 years and whose testimony of what he saw is just as instructive as any that we've shared. Eric, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, We appreciate your stopping by today. It's great to be here, and I appreciate uh, being on. All right. I, I really uh, have been wanting to talk to you for quite a while, and uh, it's just been uh, – we've had a lot of uh, life go on between here and now, or between then and now since we last first connected. And I appreciate your reaching out, and, and we, we hope that uh, – and we believe that you what you're about to share with us is going to really bring a, a, another more uh, piercing light 
into what I believe is a is a darkness about dwell and xenos that needs to be needs to be lit up, needs to be illumined. Um, your affiliation with the Xenos Dwell movement goes back quite a few years. Uh, you said to me you were a leader at the highest levels for about two decades, but uh, but that would have been at, in the Cincinnati Church. Uh, so can you just maybe go back and maybe reminisce? Uh, tell me how you got involved and 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 uh, at what level did you actually rise to it? Okay, yeah, I think that's important because um, uh, even though I was only in Columbus for um, a few years, it certainly set the tone of my life. I, I was completely indoctrinated while I was there, and um, when I'm hearing these stories from people, it's very similar, uh, and yet I'm somebody who came around back in 1985 when the church was only 15 years old. Um, and I'm hearing testimony from people who, uh, you know, are so-called Xenos babies. I have my own Xenos babies, and they're not involved in Xenos now, thankfully. Mm, um, yes. So I'm of a g- different generation than some of the people that have been interviewed, but it's quite amazing the um, uh, similarities of the experiences that somebody uh, a generation removed is having. Uh, actually, it sounds even worse. Um, mm-hmm. But I came around in, in 1985 in Columbus. I was going to um, OSU, of course, and um, I ran into somebody, seemed like a really cool guy, and uh, I had been uh, raised uh, in a Southern Baptist church, and uh, I had carried around an a intense fear of going to hell with me for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I eventually, when I became a teenager, kind of just disregarded the church, went my own way. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. And this guy befriended me, and um, he uh, asked me to come to a Bible study. And he said it wasn't a house. He didn't tell me who it was affiliated with or anything like that. And I thought, okay, well, I like the guy. And I kind of begrudgingly went. Um because I like, I wanted to have a friend. Sure. And, uh, I thought, well, maybe, maybe it'll be a different experience. And so, um, and a lot of my story is going to sound like a lot of other people's, which at first I thought, I don't know if that's a good thing, but actually I think it is because I think it reinforces what people have experienced over time. So I went to the, to the home church, um, and I was immediately hit with, and I'm going to use the term love bomb for a minute, but I'm also going to say I know that Xenos hates that word because it's associated with cults. <laughs> You're right. Uh, and so I can take that word away, and I can say what I was hit with was unlike anything I was ever hit with in my life before and, and since. I was hit with an intensity of interest of people coming up to me and just treating me like I was a king. I I felt like I was the cool guy in high school, which I never was. I was a nerd. And I felt like I was the captain of the football team. Right, right. I had never felt that way there before or since in any organization I've ever attended. So you can discard the term love bomb, but there was something going on that's not normal. Uh, Now, at the time, 
to me that felt good. Um, it wasn't a red flag. Uh, and I kind of want to kind of paint my early um, experience in terms of red flags and green flags. Right. Um, so somebody had put on a website that I'm uh, a part of, uh, or actually social media, uh, it was a video of a guy not involved in Xenos. He was just somebody who was talking about uh, an abusive situation, and he's saying, you know, some people will come along and they'll say, you saw the red flags. Why didn't you leave? And his point was, but the green flags were so powerful that you over, it overshadowed the red. Right. And so the response I got initially to me was a green flag. Now I look back and it's a big red flag. Right. You know, after 30 years on. But right. it certainly made me feel very good at the time. Um, now I think Xenos has tried to mitigate that a little bit and try to, they don't want to do the same thing, but they realize it comes off a little heavy, although I, it sounds like it still happens. Um, but they have ways to kind of try to regulate it so it doesn't happen, but it's just as kind of stringent as how you approach people when they come in. Right, right. And so anyways, having said that, um, I want to talk about some red flags that I saw that I ignored, and I'll tell you why I ignored them in a minute. Um, so we come into the group, and, I, and I'm going to say we because my current wife, who's been my wife since uh, 1986, she came to Xenos shortly after I did. Ironically, she thought I was in a cult, and she went to check out to see if I was, um, and she was pulled in herself. Wow. Um, and we we were 19, and we wanted to uh, make our mark on the world. We wanted to, you know, 19-year-olds, they're, they're idealistic. They, they want to have an impact on the world. And that drew us in. Um, and so we decided we're going to do what it takes to become leaders in this group. And we've kind of figured it out. We know the route. And so people took notice of that, and they started um, asking us to become more and more involved. Okay. Um, at one point, my wife, this seems like a simple thing, but it's something that shows you how they try to cut you off from regular experiences. We had tickets to OSU games, um, season tickets, eight games a year, every other week. and. My wife is asked to join a cell group, and if people have been following cell groups like, you know, you come in, you come to a home church or CT, and once you're spotted as somebody that could be a leader, you're asked to come into cell group. Hmm. And her cell group happened to be on Saturdays when OSU played. And she was challenged. We had season tickets. We'd already pushed them. And she was challenged that, um, you know, if you're really committed, you need to come to this meeting. It's on Saturday and give up those tickets. And as a 19-year-old going to OSU, giving up buckets, Buckeye tickets is a major thing. Right. And we're like, hmm, okay, we want to be committed. And so we kind of hedged around it. She missed some games. She didn't. She weaseled away into the cell group. Um, 
but that was kind of odd. Um, and then they asked us to become part of a ministry house. And of course, we, uh, it's been talked about a lot, but you go into a ministry house, you sign a contract. Um, it's not quite as detailed or they didn't have the electronic sur- surveillance back then that they do now where they, uh, have you sign up and, uh, have software that looks at your websites that you visited. But it was, you know, the contract was pretty intrusive. And when you discussed, uh, coming into the ministry house, it was clear that, um, you know, we're going to ask you questions about your life. We're going to ask you, you know, if you stop attending next amount of meetings, what's going on? We're going to ask you about your relationship with your girlfriend. They were particularly interested in that. Um, wanted to make sure that we didn't fall into sexual sin and they made that clear. Um, and again, we, you know, we signed on the dotted line. Um, and we kind of thought, you know, well, we may stumble here and there, but if we do, and this is kind of what it, the whole culture engenders, we'll keep it to ourselves because if we talk to somebody about it, we're not going to, we've seen what's happened to people that have talked about sexual sin they've fallen into. Um, and so it's sort of kind of engendered a double life that if we do fall, there's really no one to talk to, so we'll just hide it. And I'm just being honest here. It, you sure. know, we, uh, we wanted to, uh, part of our intentions were good. We wanted to do things for God. And part of it was like, well, in order to do that, we got to kind of, you know, work around some things. Um, and then uh, there was a lot of meetings, as people talk about. You get involved in a lot of meetings, and they teach, and they're always going to say, we don't teach that you need to be in this many meetings. That's you, you can, You're free to choose how many you go to. But what they say in the culture are two different things. Right. Uh, and I can cite countless examples of where you can talk until you're blue in the face, but the culture trumps what's being said. And so when you've got dozens, maybe hundreds of people saying that they go into the ministry house and say you want to go visit your parents on the weekend and they live 45 minutes away, and you do that because you want to get someplace where you can get some sleep, you can get your laundry done because you're living with 68 people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And you want to see your parents because I like my parents. And you start getting the subtle pressure. You know, when you're gone, you're missing stuff. Why are you going so much during on the weekends? And I said, well, I want to do my laundry. I want to see my parents, like any college student. The pressure's there, and they say it's not, but it is. Right. Um, and then um, you just get involved in so many meetings that you start getting sleep-deprived. And I remember um, I started, you know, skipping – strategically skipping classes at OSU so I could sleep in uh, because we would have meetings and I would be up till two in the morning. Um, and so I'd figure out what, what classes can I skip? Uh, I was smart enough that I could get by 
with good grades, with skipping the classes that I figured out I could. And there was never any, um, they never addressed, you know, you start to slack off your schoolwork, your responsibilities. It was actually kind of lauded that you were sacrificing that for God. Right. Um, I mean, what, what would be the point? I mean, if uh, you're going to school to prepare for a career to be a world changer, which is something obviously they want everyone at OSU to do, they they've said that they seem to set you up for failure already automatically. You know, but if they want you to go out there and you know be an OSU student, but they're undercutting your your study. Right. Incredible. Uh, and they you know they have a whole career theology. You know, when you pick a career, make sure you don't pick a career that is going to take too much time away from. Um, ministry and I remember being in a leadership training class and thinking and somebody actually actually spoke it out loud I was thinking well does that mean that Christians can't be doctors or lawyers because it's going to be, take too much time away from ministry hmm. um, and so I, and it was just sort of like well you know let other Christians do that we're the committed ones ah okay you know and so, and then the final thing I'll mention before I get into why I ignored all these red flags is I was in leadership training class and, um, that's where you're being trained to be a home church leader. And it's weekly. You got quizzes that you, you have to take. And the night of the leadership training uh, ship class, I get a call and my dad is in West Virginia on business, and they think he's had a heart attack, and he's in the hospital. Um, and so I rushed down there, skipping leadership training class, because I didn't know whether my dad was going to live or die. Yeah. Um, well, the next week I went up to the leadership training uh, class teacher, who was an elder, a well-respected um, you know, somebody who I looked up to and I said, I apologize for missing, um, the class. And, you know, I explained what happened to my dad and the, and the guy looked at me with this look of disdain and said, if you're a home church leader, you cannot leave your post like that. And I, and I was shocked. I'm, and he didn't ask me. Is your dad alive or dead? Is he doing okay? He's alive, by the way. But the coldness, one, and the fact that being a home church leader was so important that if I left my post, somehow the church was going to fall apart that I led. I'm looking back and thinking, this is exactly what this guy was saying. But I'm a 19-year-old, and I was astonished that he said it. And I should have left at that point but I didn't and I look back and I, I, I analyzed why did I put up with all this stuff and then I realized it was because <clears throat> as the guy in the video said the green lights were so powerful um, they hold out we've talked about the carrot and the stick and the carrot is you can change the world for God you can rise up to leadership and when you go, 
one of the first things that drew me in was they they do teach very clearly that uh you know your relationship with god is based on grace and not works uh and that really appealed to me it wasn't something that i fully understood um and so that that kind of drew me in um now, when you get down the line, they don't really practice the grace that they talk about, but they teach you pretty clearly. Um, and that's one of the very most the most paradoxical things about a place like Xenos or any other cult that takes the Bible, claims to squeeze it dry out for its pure doctrine, and it does not live up to what it claims is true. I mean, to, right. for, for them to castigate you because you went to go honor your mother and father in the midst of this terrible trial life. I mean, I mean, that's, that's a, that's part of the Ten Commandments, man. I mean, that's, yeah, that, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's your own, and that's your family. And yet to them, they just had this cold, uh, perception that, that, that supporting the organization's, uh, structure and staffing matters uh, was well, or, or staffing levels mattered more. Exactly. Wow! Incredible. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And um, you accepted that as gospel. I did, mm. and um, and part of that, and also <clears throat> we were we uh, were given a book to read in leadership training uh, in the leadership training class. I bet you they still have them read it today. Uh, Spiritual authority by Watchman Nee. Okay. And uh, that book is very – most people, they read it, they throw it against the wall, they tear it apart because it's so uh, – basically it teaches, as far as I remember, that God has placed people in authority, and you got to recognize that. And whether – what they say or not rings off to you. You got to remember, they're the ones that got put in authority. Right. You need to obey them. Right. One of the first books they have you read in leadership training, and I remember that was one of the books I thought, well, you know, he's my leader, and I didn't like what he said, but who am I to question God? Right. That's not bad it was. Right. So that was at the so, core of of of, your, of the process in which they began to make a leader of you. Right. Right. Wow. Um, so that was some of the green lights that that uh, promise of lifelong friendships and community and all this. I just said, okay, we'll ignore that stuff because we're going to Cincinnati anyways. Um, which is, I guess, what I can discuss next. Right. Well, how did they make? Um, well, you were there in Columbus being groomed in, his, in the leadership training. And now we all know that Xenos dwells, relent, they have this relentless indoctrination. Xenos, uh, dwell, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and this indoctrination is instilled within all members, this drive to become leaders who organize and sustain the growth of the movement at whatever cost is deemed necessary. And of course, you saw some of that. And yes. yet within, within Xenos, your own commitment uh, to help build that movement was seen as you began to serve as a house church leader. So how did you turn from, from, from staying there? I think you said you started out as a house church leader in Columbus and how did that turn towards Cincinnati? 
Okay, so I hadn't I hadn't become a home church leader yet in Columbus. Okay. All right. I was being trained. Now, the, the only exception that Columbus will give, the only dispensation they'll give for you to leave the city, um, is if it's a Xenos sanctioned uh, mission, and that was Cincinnati. Um, back in 1987, 86, 87, um, they had decided that, um, Xenos has got this, we've got the answer. We're this New Testament church that is following the ways of Christ in a way that no other church is. Right. And we just can't contain that to Columbus. We got to branch out. Um, and their idea was, and it was actually communicated that at the rate they were going, they were going to saturate Columbus because, you know, they have the, the pyramid scheme that, you know, you, you win two people and they win two people and so on and so forth. And pretty soon you've got the whole city one. And so we better get on some other cities because we're that good. And so they started this idea of doing some extra local plants. And Cincinnati was the first of these. Um, there were, there's, there was one, I think, already gone in Columbus, but it was kind of a rogue outfit that they kind of brought back in. But they were going to go to Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, all sorts of places. But Cincinnati was kind of the, the guinea pig. Um, and, the idea was, and this is important because this was in the 80s. It was before they just, they had to have determined or figured out that our tactics only work on the young. Right. Once they get to a certain age, you can't really control them as much as you can. Uh, and, in fact, there's a um, well podcast where – the, the founders are being interviewed, um, Gary and Dennis, and um, the guys making the point that in the early 90s, they made a pivot to target the youth, you know, college, high school, middle school, because they were failing in the adult uh, realm. Um, and so all the elder and, – and, Gary Delashvet says uh, on that podcast, yeah, you know, it's good to get get them when they're young before they've made all the major decisions in their lives. Hmm. And when he said that, it was like a dagger to my heart because I, I heard that this year and I thought, yeah, I was 19 and I made a lot of critical decisions based on what you guys said and, and led me to believe. Yeah. And I fully take responsibility for the decisions I made, but I was a 19-year-old. My brain wasn't fully formed, and I just feel like, you know, when they're, you're that age, you got to have some boundaries and take care as to how you're ministering to people that young. Right. And that, that uh, obviously was not a conviction that they share. They, it's just just astonishing uh, how how absolutely arrogant – and self, um, 
self-assured they can be in voicing their game plan so readily to let you know that, yeah. they, that, that, that they were just going to very, very uh, pragmatically and coldly target young men and women in the way they did. And, uh, I mean, everyone knows that this is what they're doing, but for them to, to admit to it so freely just speaks volumes. I hate to use that term, but it's such a cliche. But it does say so much about where they're coming from, doesn't it? It does. And I'm like, I just thought, Gary, you weren't supposed to say that part out loud. <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. just, you just laid your hand out on the table there. Yeah. Uh, and so at the age of, I don't know, 20, they decided they were going to take two elders um, from, uh, from Columbus and have them take members of their churches down to Cincinnati and make a plan. And I was a member of uh, a guy named Mark Bear's home church, and I'm using his name because he has given me uh, permission to, because uh, Mark and I have um, struck up, restruck up a friendship that we've had for decades uh recently and we've been helping each other he's no longer in xenos either mm-hmm. kind of working through the stuff we uh have gone through he was my mentor my discipler i hate using that term because it's so xenos like and i'm going to say xenos like a lot because it was never dwell when i was in it but it's the same thing as you right know. yeah exactly right so anyways uh, mark and i have a great relationship at this point we always got along well and worked well together but now we got a relationship where it's free of the pressure of having to try to grow a church the size of columbus and cincinnati so right um, so anyways so mark and another elder uh they went to the cell groups in their churches and and their wives to the women's cell groups and said hey we're um going to start a plant in cincinnati and anybody that's interested in coming, um, you're welcome. Now, they're assuming, one, that everybody in the cell group's ready to do that. They're mature enough, even though, you know, I was probably the youngest guy in the cell group at 19. The oldest was probably 24. Um, and we're all going to uproot ourselves and move to Cincinnati, disrupt our education, uh, move away from my family. And start a church. And we decided to do it, my wife and I. She wasn't my wife yet. Um, she did become my wife before we got down there. Um, we decided to do it because uh, here's our chance. You know, we can go down and they fully expected, and this, again, this was before they realized they had to target the youth, that if you just sent a bunch of people out and you started a home church, Within a few years, we would have Columbus 2.0 down in Cincinnati because there's nothing like us. Oh. So everyone was, uh, everyone was living under this, this operative belief that you were just on this, this divine quest, this divine mission to become, you know, the next, the next church of Acts, right? Yes, in Cincinnati. And we was we were going to within year within a few years, at least within less than a decade, be the size that Columbus was. 
which ironically was about 5,000 then, and it's 5,000 now, mm-hmm. even though they're self, they're a replicating church. <laughs> um, so we go down there and, um, we fully expect, you know, this is just going to happen automatically. God's behind us. How could he not be? Because we found the uh, right way of doing things. And um, things didn't work out that way. Yeah. Uh, So it was in Cincinnati where I started becoming uh, a leader. I became a cell group leader first and then a home church leader. Then ultimately I was an elder uh, with two other guys. Um, and during our tenure down there, which would have been from 87 through, um, about 2012. Now, now Mark and the other elder left in 2000. They went back up to Columbus. Um, but I stayed and there was another cohort of elders that I worked with. Um, and we were just banging our heads against the wall because we weren't growing like we thought we we should. Mm. We had maybe three spikes of growth in the years we were down there, but inevitably it would be um, followed by a mass exodus. Mm. And so we were, it was the revolving door thing. Which happens in Columbus, because if your church has stayed 5,000 people for 30 years, it's not the same 5,000 people. It's people coming in, getting alienated, and leaving. Hmm. Well, why was that happening? You said you were having, you were, you were building, you were thriving. I mean, what would you do to, to engender the growth? And then what would happen to make it all fall apart? I mean, if, if this was God's hand, if you're going to be, you know, uh, Xenos 2.0 in Cincinnati, what, what was going on? What, 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 uh, what was the fly in the ointment, so to speak? <laughs> Very good question. Um, and, and this is where uh, it gets into, um, kind of the things that as somebody who perpetuated this system, uh, it's kind of some of the things I wanted to work through that I'm sort of uh, ashamed and embarrassed by in the sense that I perpetuated okay. uh, this kind of thing. And it was basically trying to do the same thing that they do in Columbus at a smaller level. Which was what? Uh, what was the smaller – what so, was the, what were you trying to do that wasn't working? Okay, so first of all, You've got to, I think maybe the overall arching theme is that you objectify people. Okay. That people are cogs in a machine and their value lies in whether or not they can produce, whether or not they can reach out to people, whether or not they can have those people become leaders and, you know, going through the whole system. And okay. so you treat people based on what they can do for the church. Okay. Um, 
And so it creates a class, a, a, a first and second class type of um, system where mm. if you have the right gifts, the right talents, you have the capability of being a leader, then we'll invest in you and we'll be your friend and we'll mentor you and you'll become part of the inner core. But if you don't have those things, and I call this the continuum of uh, shunning that occurs in Xenos, um, there's um, what you might call the mild or slight shuns, which are really no less hurtful than the major shuns. The major shuns would be things like uh, we've heard talked about where people are actually removed from the church or whatever. Um, we never had in Cincinnati that I recall any of those horrific meetings I've heard about where you gather people around and people's sins are laid out and then you vote and you kick people out. Uh, we never got to that point. However, there's more subtle forms of that. So if you're not um, a person who can do what Xenos says a spiritual person can do, then we might let you hang around, but we're really not going to invest in you. We're really not going to talk to you much. We're not going to get into your world. We're not going to help you with your struggles. We may here and there, but you can hang around, but um, you're not going to be part of the inner core. Right, right. Um, so, so really, like you're saying, you've already, you've already mentioned it once, and in the past several podcasts, we've had people say exactly the same thing. Uh, former members of Xenos who felt its tender mercies fall on their heads because they weren't doing something. They weren't performing in some way. They weren't me measuring up in some standard. In essence, then, uh, like you said, uh, Xenos says a lot about grace and God's love and God's mercy, and yet the entire social system is based upon works, performance, yeah. what you no can do, whether you fit a mold or not, whether you look the part. No question. And yeah. it, it eliminates so many good people who have so many diverse talents and skills to right. offer, mm -hmm. but they have no place in the system and either they realize that and they leave on their own accord or they kind of just stay around and live with the fact that I'm a second class Christian here. Yeah. Um, and there's, a, you know, I remember a, a couple guys where, and, and the thing is what I'm describing is not who I am. As a person, it's not who I was before I came to Xenos, and it's not who I am now. I'm a naturally um, empathetic and compassionate person. I'm a social worker by trade. I went into social work because I wanted to help people, um, had compassion for them, and so forth. But the system kind of suppresses that kind of 
those kind of feelings and characteristics. So I felt in some ways I wasn't even being true to myself. Yeah. And it somehow warped me. Um, although there, there may be some people say, you know, Eric, he was one of the more compassionate, empathetic elders. I, I may have been, but at the same time, I had this other side that, I, you know, if you weren't performing, I moved on. Um, I think one of the one of the major things I wanted to share, one of the worst decisions that I felt like I made, uh, that I look back with deep regret, is by this time I was an elder, and um, I was basically I was the only paid paid elder. There were four other elders, uh, so basically I was the captain of the ship. Yeah, and um, the other elders had certainly had input, but I had my own home church, and what I said was going to go. And I had, when I look back, I had this really great home church. Uh, I had two of my closest friends I ever had in that church, in that group. The people were great people, and yet because the church was not growing, it wasn't replicating. In my mind, something's wrong. And after a certain point of time trying to get the church to grow and browbeat the people to get out and bring people, frustration sets in. And I decided this church has to be blown up. We got to disband this church and have people be absorbed into other churches. I think at the time we had two or three other home churches. We only grew to about four home churches at our peak. This is so I and maybe somebody else decided for these people what churches they were going to go to. And I remember sitting there and telling the group, and there were my two best friends, that not only were they going to not be in the same church as me, but I was also going to split them up. And the look on one of the guy's faces still to this day haunts me. It it tears my heart out to remember what he looked like because he looked to me as his 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 closest friend. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's good. He'll go off to the church. He'll do well. We're all in the same church at large. We'll maintain our relationship. But the fact of the matter is you can't in Xenos because you're too consumed with the church you're in. Right. And I effectively lost, at that point, two of my best friends. They stayed in the church for a while. Eventually, they left. But I, I totally regret that decision and look back and think, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Nobody was. Nobody was telling me to do it. I had to control whether I wanted to do or not. It was the indoctrination that led me to do that. Right, right. And yours, again, is not a, is not an uncommon thing. You know, that's one of the things we keep hearing again and again is how in how many places close personal fellowship was developed within Xenos. Uh, the very standards of Christian uh, commi- a Christian community based on koinonia, I mean, that close, deep, interpersonal mixing was, was, was an ongoing thing, however imperfect, and yet 
at a leader's notice, at a whim, it can be broken up and, and severed. Yes. yes. And I shot myself and my own feet in yeah. doing that. Yeah. And I, I ultimately, at the end, and I'll come to that later, um, I was a lonely man because of decisions made like that. Yeah. Um, in the name of God, so-called, in the name of uh, propagating this so-called wonderful New Testament model church, um, it ended up coming to bite me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's stuff like, I mean, things like that, people just aren't going to tolerate and they're going to leave. Right. Um, and then there was, I don't know how far to go into all this, but um, some of the things we would do to encourage people to go out and reach out, I feel it's another point of like, I can't believe I, I did that or thought that. And these were things that were ideas that Columbus had as well. But when when you're trying to grow a church, you would um, you gotta go out, you gotta meet people, but you're taught, and this is now codified in a document, that you can only get so close to people out in the world. Because if you go too close to them and they don't show an interest after a period of time, you're wasting your time with them. Right. And I look at back now and I think, you know what? It, it, what's wrong with going out and making friends with your neighbor, which I have, and having it be a lifelong friendship? And whether that person comes to your church or not, or even becomes a Christian or not, what's wrong with having a friendship with that person? It keeps you in touch with the world. It shows them the love of God. And, and it, that in itself may convince them. And it may take a while. But there was no room for ha- – I think Christians should have friends with all sorts of people, atheists, Muslims, just so you are out there. And you know what people think, and I'm talking about genuine friendships, not ones where you're have a uh, agenda, and if they don't meet it, you're up to drop them. Right, right. And and I realized people had to be onto us because we would go out maybe in groups of two or three and start befriending somebody, and as soon as we caught wind that they're probably going to be interested, we drop it. Hmm. And that that leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. Right. So this is what Christians is all about. Huh? You come out and you try. If you don't, you drop us. Right. If I don't do like you do and say as you see, suddenly I'm I'm a second class person, and my and I and what I believe and think doesn't matter. You know. That's right. Very, that's very true. I mean, that's, uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, we're supposed to make people, uh, conform to the image of Christ no matter, and, and do whatever it takes. Even, even we have to act so unchristian to do that. Which is exactly what Zenos Dwell has been doing. I mean, like you just mentioned, I think that's, that's strike at the very heart of the thing. I mean, the Jude, Jude, uh, chapter, I mean, Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt, save others. 
you know, my statue from the fire, you know, you just be compassionate, just, just be loving for the sake of being loving. Right. And, and like you said, if you can't, if you can't love and care about people where they are, no matter what they believe, then, then that does speak, like you said, very loudly to the level of sincerity and the, and the agenda that's driving you, not, not the concern for the person, but concern for, for, or for a organization. That that's right. demanding you to get a, to, to, to notch someone's soul as, as uh, you know, uh, the thing you're going to put on your on your belt there. That you, you've got soul number three and soul number twenty-seven. <laughs> right. And, and I don't want to say that you know the uh, there are good people in dwell, and there's oh, yes. certainly no. There's nothing wrong at all. It's a good thing to want people to come to know God. That's not a bad thing. It's how you go about it, and then it's how that gets lost in the machine. Right. And you forget, is it God or is it dwell? I forget which one. I remember going to the baptism when I was first coming around, and people were using God and Xenos interchangeably, and you couldn't tell the difference. Well, I came to Xenos. I came to God. Well, which is it? You know. Hmm. Um, so it gets lost in there. So this and, is a profession of faith and a baptism, and then they're interchangeably using the terms. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. and so you get into a system where you know your relationship with God. This is what happened to me. My relationship with God was ministry. It was, I call it ministry idolatry, idolatry or ministry legalism. Um, and if what you're worshiping is ministry itself, you're not getting joy from God. You're mm-hmm. not getting, uh, an infusion from Him. It, it, it's a system that engenders a, it's almost a deistic situation where yeah. God's laid down this model in the New Testament and he's told you to follow it and he's left the scene and now it's up to you. That's kind of the, the, the feeling you get or I got. I don't want to, I don't want to generalize and say everybody does, but I know enough people that I've talked to that don't go that anymore that, you know, were leaders that that was the thing. Uh, right. It wasn't about God anymore. It was about the ministry, not not ministry flowing from our relationship with God, but the ministry actually being our relationship with God, if that makes sense. Right. The relationship with God becomes a relationship with the organism. I mean, with organization. God's yeah. the organism. He's the ultimate creator. He's, he's the one we should find our joy and meaning in. And yet people are, are being... Uh, just, just intellectually and spiritually and socially forced to conclude that to that that to relate to God is to is to become a slave to an organization. Uh, the vision of Xenos is is just this relentless drive to replicate the growth the growth of the group at any cost, even if it alienates and damages people by its treatment of them if they don't measure up. Exactly right. And that's the thing I think they are so um, stiff-necked about because with all of these, I don't know if you know, but there was an an NBC report 
in Columbus out today. I get another one. Yeah, I had heard about that. And maybe you can tell a little more about that because I, I had heard it was coming, but haven't had time to watch it. Well, can you tell us a little more about that? So uh, there's a group of people that, um, you know, they have a, it's a group of ex, um, uh, people from Xenos. Uh, there, there's a Facebook group and, um, uh, someone, someone came up with the idea of, uh, putting a billboard up and creating a website. Um, and the website's called Leaving Dwell. And the billboard is very simple. It says, are you stuck in dwell? There is hope. And then it has the, um, leavingdwell.com. It's leavingdwell.com. Uh-huh. And there's a QR code. Now this, it's a great website because one, um, it is sort of warehousing all the other websites out there. Uh, like, uh, Katie Reidecker's website, uh, Mark Carter's website, uh, links to the, um, articles that have come out, NBC, um, and so forth. All that stuff's kind of there, but there's also, uh, sections where, you know, if you need this kind of support, here's where you can go. Um, churches, housing, things like that. Mm, great. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's in its incipient form, but it's a website that's trying to design to help people that maybe feel like, boy, if I leave, I don't know what I'm going to do because you get to a point where my whole support system is, is dwell. And if I leave, I don't, I don't even know if I, I'm going to have a place to live. Right. And that's so important for people to realize that there is life beyond that little hothouse that Xenos has created there. You know, I mean, so many people have testified to the same thing over the years. Uh, I mean, I've heard it over and over where, where people would want to leave but just feel they can't. There's no place to go. No one will understand them. And, and truth be told, so many of them go out into the world and find that there are people who are going to laugh at them. People are going to mock them because they're involved. People are, and, and find that the world is a cruel place. And that the yeah. only place that they can find, find understanding and meaning and fellowship and communion, even if it was conditional, even if it was cruel and abusive, the only place they found that attention was in Dwell slash Xenos. Right. And so they go back right. and, 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 and they're, they're torn between heaven and hell. And uh, a site like that is so important uh, for, 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 because there are so many media points. I mean, I, every time I go searching around in, in the Internet and talk to people, there, there are all kinds of people offering to help those who want to leave. So, so if you're out right. there and you're listening, folks, uh, take, take heed and because there right. are resources out there. People right. are ready to help. This, this site is new, and they're, it looks really good, and they're adding things day by day. Um, and if there's anybody listening that's thinking about leaving, check it out and contact the person, the administrator. And there are people out there who have been through what you've been through, and they are very, very compassionate and very willing to help. Um, I just think it's an amazing thing that um, some people on this group uh, came up with and there were people that were willing to uh, fund it. 
Right. So I just see that thing becoming better and better. It's, you know, it's brand new, just came out this week, um, but it's already making headlines. So. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad I made the news because uh, that's always a, a great thing to hear. And uh, I understand, have you re- I understand um, that well leadership responded to it. Uh, do you, did you get a chance to catch that? Uh, yes, yes. What, what was their response to it? Um, well, typical response. They basically said, um, if I can, and I just read it as earlier today. Um, well, we're sorry you had these experiences in Dwell. There's a lot of people in Dwell that are, you know, experiencing love with Jesus, and we've made changes based on input, and they provided a list of changes they made. The changes they made were what they emphasized were changes in training and I don't know why they chose to put this in there, but they were going to stop indoor vaping. <clears throat> and uh, I, I think, to me, probably indoor vaping is the root of all evil. It's probably the thing that has caused all these problems. <laughs> I, I guess what, that's how... Uh, indoor, indoor bathing? Vaping. You know, oh, vaping. vaping. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. Indoor yeah, vaping. Yeah, that, that, we, we, there are a lot of people who couldn't figure out how stopping indoor vaping was going to uh, eliminate all these problems that people are bringing up. Wow. What, what a novel concept. Uh, using it, it turns out so they, they gave a document. They submitted a document of all the changes they made to address these issues. That goes back to two, 2020. It's two years old. Man. So it's stuff that hasn't even changed since all this stuff has hit the media. Now I may be an old-fashioned minister from an old-fashioned uh, thing like a like a Christian denomination, and I, and I may just be a little behind at times, but I seem to recall somewhere in the Bible about how when when people came to know Jesus, that He changed their characters and delivered them out of the sort of things that they struggled with and made them new new people day by day. And that it is by his grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. So I guess we need to erase that part out of the Bible too, since if, if uh, works are necessary, like getting rid of vaping, then perhaps there's a little few more, a little bit of uh, spitzing they can do around there to clean up. Like what else can Zenos well do to clean itself up? Really, seriously, yeah. what else can it do besides the, vaping? <laughs> the major, the major thing was training, and yeah, again, you can train, train, train all you want, but it's the culture, it's the system that needs change. It's not getting at, it, it, and you'll get a chance to look at it, uh, I'm sure, um, but because uh, it'll be posted on the Leaving Dwell site. Um, but the trainings were very superficial in my mind. It, it, it just was not, again, it was, it seemed tone deaf. And that's why I decided to speak out when I, there's a lot of things that came together for me to be here talking to you. But, uh, and none of this stuff had hit the media when I started looking back at my time in, in Xenos. But when I saw, the tone deafness of 
the leadership's response in Columbus to you and to all the many people that are raising their voices and their incessant arguments that it's not us, it's them, that these are disgruntled people. I, I did this myself. I, I, as a leader, when somebody left my church, I would say, well, it's because they no longer want to walk with God. They're bitter with somebody. Uh, they just want to go into the world. I, you know, it was always their problem, not mine or the church. Mm-hmm. And right. I just, I see that time and time again with these guys, um, almost to the point that it looks very incompetent. It's like you, you could at least hire some sort of spin doctor to make <laughs> yourselves look a little better, but yeah. it, it just, it, it's, it didn't. It wasn't a response. It was very impressive. Right. I, I haven't read it yet, but I guarantee I probably would. It's, it's probably not going to be very impressive because it's, no. it's good. It's probably going to be at the same level of, of response that they gave to us back in January when we, when we interviewed Conrad Hilario and, and, and Kate Mizell. I mean, it was just this, like you said, just basic tone deafness. It's like, well, Xenos slash well, they they are just so completely deafened to the outcries of those that they are victimizing. There's there's not been a single gesture of anything that they have put out to the NBC documentaries, to what we've said, to to podcasts that we've put out, to anything uh, that people have may have mentioned in in, in, the, in the Daily Beast articles. There's not a single statement or public admission that 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 they would begin to show that Xenos is admitting that there's a toxic nature to this discipleship system that's actually responsible. Uh, they just don't see it. They, no, they don't they, see how it, how that's what's keeping alive the systemic abuse that fills the whole place. Right. right. I mean, and Jesus said, their worship is a farce in Mark 7, 7, 9. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And he went on to say, "You were," and, and he was speaking of the Pharisees. But you know, I think in essence, Dwell and Zenos's leadership have become Pharisees, as Jesus described. Where he says, "You ignore God's law, and you substitute your own tradition. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition." Now, uh-huh. right. right. I don't know about you, but as we used to, we used to say in, in, in ministry, that'll preach. <laughs> that certainly does speak to what we're talking about, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't, I don't know what's – and it was the, the – I, I don't know why the elders don't go out and speak. They sent out the same guy that responded to um, – I think it was the Daily Beast article or some, or some other it – was, it was another – it was a guy who – yeah, the, the elders don't go out and address the issues. They send somebody else out. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just really don't think, uh, Eric, I don't think they know what to do. I, I really I mean, don't think I, they know I, what I, how it, to respond. Yes. It, but, well, it comes off as so incompetent and so I, – I just don't know, and that's why, you know – I felt compelled to speak and continue to speak is how you can hear all of these stories. It's not a lunatic fringe. 
It's not a group of Satanists trying to tear down a church. There's <laughs> right. people from all walks of life. There's people like me who invested over 30 years in the church. Uh, there's you, You've interviewed leaders who have had, you know, decades in the church. You've interviewed people who have been raised in the church, uh, people who have been successful in the church, people who have been kicked out of the church. People of all, all different generations. And it's not just a bunch of crazy, angry, bitter people out there looking to pick a fight. These are hurting people um, who don't want other people hurt. And that's my main burden is I don't want to see other people hurt. And, and that's um, why when my heart dropped when I knew that they were sending a group of people from Columbus who held positions up there to come down here, reboot the church, which was literally on life support, about to disappear. They've come down, and I know that when they crossed the Hamilton County line, their their viewpoints – did not change. They're bringing the indoctrination that they got in Columbus. You can read it on Dwell's website, mm-hmm. and it reads just like everything Dwell. We're coming down. We're going right. to uh, infiltrate the youth. We're going to target them. Um, we're going to grow this church. And my heart sinks because, you know, I, I don't want – I. I'm I'm an old guy. I've been through a lot, and then I hear these kids. I call them kids. They're my own children's age. Sure. Who went through the same thing that I did. Um, and I don't want to see another generation that happen to. Right. Right. Um, I feel much compassion and sadness if, right. if they were to experience the kind of things that. And my eyes have been open quite a bit even more in the past two years as I've been doing research. I knew it was bad, but now I'm just convinced there's just so many people out there that have been impacted by this. And it's not as we were always told, oh, when a person leaves, it's their problem. Yeah, right. you got so many people out there for you to to be sending out amateurs saying things that are irrelevant. You're just not seeing the scope of the problem. Right, exactly. So, I mean, what, at what point, I mean, you were there working, laboring, suffering all these losses, watching a group of people come and go and come and go. Uh, what point did your disillusionment begin? And, and when did you actually start thinking that you might need to reexamine your, your involvement with them? I mean, what was the final outrage that kind of push you towards 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 reconsidering that well it it, it was a kind of a slow leak um and uh, i had become the full-time paid elder we had other elders but mark bear who i've mentioned he was the full-time paid elder prior to me and he left and went back over to Columbus, and he left because um, – and I just talked to him this weekend about it um, – because he was just exhausted 
defeated, depressed, felt like he had failed because our church hadn't uh, done what we thought it was going to do in the beginning. Um, and I don't suppose and, the leadership in Columbus weren't too happy about it either, were they? The, the Cincinnati church? Yeah. Oh, they forgot all about us. We were, I don't even know they knew we existed for the latter part of. Really? They, yeah, they completely yeah. lost track of you during all those years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Man, what uh, was that like to be running, running on it basically untethered? I mean, there you are trying to uphold, you know, Xenos 2.0 and they're not even ad- admonishing or supporting you? No, no. We wow. would go up and listen to their teachings and go to the servant team retreats and go to the, institutes but um they they were committed to us for a year and then they cut us loose and they literally we would go to meetings and they would start talking about doing domestic planning and we were just like please don't tell us you're going to stand up there and say you're going to plant a church in cincinnati because we're still down here (laughs) i mean literally the older elders forgot about us um, wow. the old guard did, or they just didn't care. I don't know. Um, and it wasn't until some people after I left went up and talked to the new elders. Now they're all like, yeah, we'll come down and we'll use your building and we'll go and target the youth and we'll revive you. <laughs> after the fact, so of course. Fact, it important we were cut off from them so we weren't so much under their control but at the same time we were still adopt, you know, applying their philosophy so right right which wasn't working right and depressed and it certainly certainly uh, was a very you know demoralizing thing that's had to be whole. so so I, I guess to answer your question though um, when I became the main guy um, I started we they started issues started to occur in the church. People were older. People were struggling with their marriages. They were having children that were struggling with their sexual identities. Mental health issues were coming up. And I'm listening to teachings from Columbus, and they just seem very shrill and strident. And I'm like, I don't know. It just seems harsh. These are complex problems, and I'm not getting any guidance from the teaching I'm hearing up there. And, you know, I know there's issues that you got to work through, but you got to do it with compassion and empathy and love and so forth. Um, and so I kind of started distancing myself from – I didn't really want to listen to what the Columbus teachings anymore. I didn't want to take my guidance from that, but I knew – I taught everybody that that's what you do. You do what Columbus does. And um, it was probably a losing battle to try to change that. Um, and then I, I, I went up. We tried to do to start a youth ministry ourselves. And we would take some kids up there. And we went a couple times. And we would go to some of the best ministry houses. And... I would get just a sick feeling when I'd go in and 
the ministry house leader would start talking about us, and he'd start talking about the people in the houses and you know, how this guy we're going to have to kick out. Why, why? He's just, he didn't have any disciples. I was like, well, have you, has he committed some sin? Is he not paying rent? Is he stealing? Like, he's just not, you know, he's just not on board. We're just going to have to kick the guy out. And this other guy over here, though, he's, they're telling us these stories about these guys in these houses. Or they don't even know us from Adam. <laughs> I just got this real culty feeling. Yeah. I'm like, God, this really seems like a cult. Um, or at least it's giving me those vibes. And I I checked with one of the guys went up with me, and they're like, yeah, I kind of got that too. And so I started just becoming disenchanted with things and maybe seeing it more clearly. Um, and then we were just failing. We had not been able to recover from any of the spikes in growth. Um, and Xenos teaches that, you know, if you're not growing, there's three reasons that it could be. And it could be that you're in a unresponsive field um, where people are just hardened. Well, Cincinnati's not an unresponsive field. It has tons of churches. So it's not that. Well, it might be you're using the wrong methods. Well, we're using Xenos methods. Those mm-hmm. are the right ones. Well, then it's you. There's some sort of sin. <laughs> yeah. And it's your church. There's some sort of, and you just think, well, I guess we've disappointed God. Um, yeah. And I just started becoming exhausted with all the energy I was putting in and getting nothing out of it, defeated, depressed, uh, lonely. All my friends had left. Although I, I had one close friend, he was still there, but he was in another church. So our friendship was really not there because you're busy in your own churches. And the elders actually started discussing, you know, uh wonder if we should keep paying you as the full-time elder. And uh, at first that was kind of devastating. You know, like, oh, man, I've been doing this for nine, ten years. It's my job. These guys are kind of looking out saying, we're not growing, so what are we paying you for? So initially I was devastated and kind of upset about that, but I thought, you know what? They're doing exactly what I taught them. Mm-hmm. I'm not producing, so I'm not worth the money. <laughs> and it was then I thought, I got to resign. You're reaping what you're sowing. Yep, yep. Wow. Came back. Full circle. Um, it was very – and so I I resigned, and then I still stayed around for a little while. But it's not very easy to stay in a church where you were once the – you know, the chief, and now you're just part of uh, the group, and people don't know how to interact with you, and you don't, you're not getting any joy out of it anyway, so. Right. Um, and you're, lo- I'm lonely, and so I just, I slowly fizzled out. Um, right. Under still the impression that, well, I just, I, I, I failed. I, I failed God. It wasn't until I got out of the system for a couple years and even more that I realized I was able to look back 
from an outsider's perspective and, and realize, wow, does God's existence or does his blessing depend on whether a small little church, Zenos church grows or not? Mm. You know, yeah. is he that small? <laughs> and I just started analyzing what I'd been through. And now, you know, being more than 10 years on, I can see and realize, wow, for so many years, I bought into something that ended up, uh, you know, where it, where it ended up. Mm-hmm. Me feeling like I spent the best years of my life investing in something that now I look back and think, well, why'd I do that? Mm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a deep question. That, that's, a, that's a deep question that, you know, anyone can ask about, you know, giving their lives into something that, that didn't return. Uh, is there any part of this story here, as, as you're telling me, I mean, you, you finally broke off. Is there any part of it that you feel like maybe you, you've learned that, that nothing really was wasted? That, that there was, that there was something that you came away with that, that really, uh, helped, uh, help you see that it, it wasn't all, all bad? Um, so I would say that, I mean, certainly it wasn't all bad. I had great times and great friends. Um, during the time that I was there. Um, and I, I think that um, if I were to say uh, what I've learned since then based on my experience is that if God exists and he's who he says he is, in the Bible, he's much, much larger and more powerful than Xenos ever really portrays him as being. Mm-hmm. He's bigger than Xenos. Right. Um, I, I feel like, you know, there's a certain amount of relief if you believe in God's sovereignty and his power and that it's not on your own shoulders and that a lot of my defeat and exhaustion and depression came from taking too much on right, and not giving uh, letting God into the equation right and I think yes it really strikes the heart of it doesn't Eric I mean I think you really hit Really hit it on, on on the head there. I mean, if if something like like Z, the, the, the shaking that the disillusionment from the Zenos dwell system uh, in terms of defining who God is, what life is like, what the ultimate questions are, et cetera, et cetera. If you go by Zenos's rule, rules and by their playbook, you realize that that God's is rather a small little thing. Uh, yeah. he, he just happens to be standing out to the corner while you're having your focus groups and your get-togethers figuring out how you're going to make this organization grow. You're, you're employing the very thing Jesus was speaking of. You're, you're employing a human tradition, a, 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 an agreed 
a, a set of rules and, and standards and, and, and folklores that a bunch of men put together and say, well, this is how it's meant to be done. And if that's never improved upon, that's never questioned, if that always exists in a closed loop, then, then how will you ever know that there's anything else bigger? And I think that's where Xenos' greatest sin is. It creates a system in which people are trapped in there. They believe God is that size. He only looks that way, smells this way, acts this way, that, you know, that the only, the only real sense of purpose in the world is, is, to, is to help a, a church grow in Columbus, Ohio, and that your entire life is meant to be feeding that, mon- that, uh, that, that, uh, monstrous machine. Uh, yeah, if that's how you're going to believe God actually expects us to live and, and his pattern life to be, and all the history revolves around it, then yeah, it, it can certainly be a very shaking thing, can't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, but as, as far as the, the most positive thing that I experienced uh, in the house was the times of community when, you know, I had those close relationships. Um and they generally were close, and we did great. We did fun things together. We took vacations together, and it wasn't a vacation where you know you're on a retreat and you had to pray and you had to read the Bible. They were genuine family vacations, and um, yeah. I had a lot of good friends that I made. And I, you know, I get together with uh, three guys that uh, used to be in Xenos that I had close relationships with. Um, great. Uh, and it's good to do that because we're able to have relationships um, that aren't dependent on um, us performing um, and us being frustrated because, you know, we're trying to grow a church and it's not growing. Now we can have the freedom to have relationships without those strings attached. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, and, and that's a healthy thing, man. I mean, that that's where we're you're, you're just getting in touch with with who you are and who they were, and just and just enjoying the company of one another. You know, right. you know. I, I certainly believe there's there's a lot of room for that for those who have left Xenos and feel that very cosmic displacement within themselves, not knowing who they are, how to interact with people. You know, God's not threatened by the questions, is he? I think he's a lot bigger than them. And, and I think right. he's, he's unafraid to hear questions, to entertain anger from you for, or anyone. I'm not saying you specifically, but, but you know, that, but he, he understands the system that's, that's been created. And I think of anything, if anything that we've tried to do here is, is to introduce people to uh, the notion of a God that's a lot bigger than they've ever heard before. There's a great book. I don't know if you've read it by J.B. Phillips. Uh, it's called Your God is Too Small. Yeah, yeah, read that years ago. That's a great book, and I think it's it's a great one for anyone to read who's struggling with this very thing because God's so much bigger than I think anything that we that Zenos presents itself. So and uh and and this is an ongoing conversation we need to have. I'm glad you had friends to do that with and, and we are hoping in, in weeks to come to come together with you and and others, uh, ex-Xenos leaders, we're going to get together. We're going we're to share a little more very directly on that together. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to hearing the conversation we're going to have about that. So, right, yeah. So, well, in, we, we're kind of running out of time here, but I was going to ask you, uh, Eric, before we close, first I want to thank you for your honesty, your transparency, and everything you've shared. I know it wasn't easy. 
but I do know that uh, it, it is something to be able to, you know, come come to grips with your past and, and get a good perspective on it. I, I've, I'm hoping that, you know, as, as the time has gone by, you've gotten that perspective, you've seen where things are. And, and in closing, uh, maybe there's something you'd like to say to all the people out there who may be listening, there may be Xenos leaders, maybe Dennis McCallum listening, maybe some of the people you've left behind here are, 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 are I mean, I'm sure they are. Someone's, someone in, in Xenos. Somebody's is, out there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, somebody's going to be doing it. So, uh, is, and maybe there's friends and, 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 and people you call family who are left behind there in Xenos. Anything you'd like to say to them, you'd like to encourage them, send them a word by. Uh, maybe something you'd like to maybe leave them as a, as a something that food for thought for them. Uh, I'd like to give you the floor the last couple of minutes whatever, and, 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 and maybe share from your heart. Yeah. Um, so I thought I would uh, share a verse. Um, I really liked it when um, you were uh, interviewing Katie and uh, you talked about Ezekiel 34. Mm-hmm. That passage oh, yeah. uh, is really powerful. But um, I thought of... Uh, you know, well-worn passage, uh, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. Um, oh yeah. And I just, I want to read that. That makes a few comments. Sure. Uh, where Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And, um, I was talking to, my friend Mark, uh, just this weekend, we were talking about how those are kind of the softer virtues and values that the Bible, uh, exposits that, uh, are often lacking in the culture of Xenos. So they have teachings on Galatians 5 probably three, four times a year, but in the culture, to experience joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and so forth. I, I would ask, what is godly fruit? Mm, and Galatians yeah. 5 seems to define that. It's Godly fruit is not how many people can we get to come through our doors. It's not even how many people can we get to come to God because there are plenty of pe- churches out there that have gotten people to come to God who don't have thousands of people in collateral damage. Um, so I would ask, consider what you think, what's true, what true fruit is. You know, if you're, if you're producing the fruit of the spirit, wouldn't that go to figure that people would be attracted to that? And that would draw them in instead of these business-like strategic cold kind of practices. Right, uh, and it takes. It, I mean, to change the culture of Xenos, I'm would take radical surgery. Mm-hmm. But at least that's something to consider. Right. Um, and then I would say to people, uh, I and mean, maybe I'll, I'll address people if there's anybody that ever hears this from the Cincinnati church that don't take it from me. I'm just one person, and I didn't come on here. I don't relish the fact that I'm talking about a church that I once uh, led people who may be listening to this and having to say this stuff, but um, go to a site like leavingdwell.com 
And I'm not saying, you know, go there because I'm telling you to leave. But go there and do your own research. Look at the stories that people have put in the various uh, websites and the articles and see that they're not crazy people. They're not lunatics. They're not people who have uh, an axe to grind by and large. They may be one or two. But for the most part, these are people who, if you were to meet on the street, are, are decent people who have been hurt, sometimes in major ways, way major ways than I have been. And ask yourselves, how do you, how comfortable do you feel about that? Being in a church that has that legacy and that reputation. If you feel comfortable with that, fine. But are you really? And if not, is what can you do? Um, is there something you can, you can do inside the church? Can you talk to the leaders if you, if you feel, uh, some of this is going on? Um, I would just encourage for your own good to go to that site and check it out and do your own research and try to be open-minded about it. I can't tell you what to do, but there's a lot out there to consider. And I guess I, I would just leave it at that. Right, right. And that's a, and that's a great admonition, Eric. You know, uh, that's, that's really, really rubber meets the road, isn't it? You know, and that's what the Apostle Paul said, and we'll, and we'll leave it at that. He said in First Corinthians thirteen thirteen, now these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And uh, what's going on in Dwell and Zenos is anything but. And and I'm, it breaks my heart as a minister to have to say that about any church or any group of people trying to live right. But right. It, it is what it is, as they say. And it's time that 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 uh, the truth be known. And Eric, I really do appreciate your your contribution towards that. And, and I'm really excited to see well, what we're going to do together in the next week or next weeks to come. Because, uh, like I said, I think you and me, and some other of the guests we've had, or some, we're going to try to get together. And, and there's a very special bit of a thing, uh, of the special bit of a of dialogue we're going to be sharing. And I, and I look forward to hearing you back again. And I want to thank yeah. you guys for for coming out tonight. Thank you so very much. Well, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad you let me uh, spill my guts here. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm, and we're going to give you room to spill more of it later. <laughs> so okay. thanks once again, Eric. And right. uh, thanks for coming by to uh, Spirit Watch Ministries and, uh, and to our podcast. And we'll look forward to you, for hearing you again once again. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.